Now, the truth of the matter is, as we've been looking through John's gospel and seeing, why should we follow Jesus, the Son of God? As we understand and see that Jesus, the historical, real, live Jesus, is the Jesus who literally changed molecules of H2O so that he could step on each one as he walked on water. That this is the Jesus that, um, even as he looked at the multitudes of people, and there was no money to buy bread and fish to feed them, that Jesus had a plan. That it wasn't chaotic to him. He had an understanding and he had a perspective that was going to solve the riddle and care for the crowd. And Jesus is the one who created something out of something very small, able to take just a few loaves and fish and, and, and fill up basket after basket after basket and even create food left over. Jesus, the Son of God, who sees into your heart and mind, who understands where you've been, he understands what you've done, he understands what you're thinking right now. That Jesus, the Son of God, is the one that we follow because he's the one who truly gives us hope. Hope is um, uh, more than just a wish. You know, hope is, is more than, than just a wish that something would happen. Hope is walking in the desert and continuing to walk in the desert because you have absolute hope, confidence, that there is a river not far away. Hope is walking through the desert, and even when you're tempted to turn back, presses forward because you're counting on that river of water to be there. Jesus wants us to live each day in hope. And the truth that he unpacks and unveils in John chapter 7 and 8, and, and really throughout the Gospel of John, is that when we follow Jesus, Jesus gives us hope. Again, more than just a wish list. More than just, I hope it happens, in the terms of, you know, you're, you're uncertain. Hope, it's a Greek term, elpis, uh, and, and that hope is, is not... Uh, a, a wish. It's not a, a, a thing that has uncertainty attached to it. Hope is knowing that this is going to happen even though it hasn't happened yet. That's hope. Hope is believing so completely in Jesus that you can press on when everyone around you would say, you better turn around. So as we look at the different encounters that Jesus had in John chapter 7 and 8, I want us to pick up in the theme of, uh, that's really the theme of these, um, 
uh, of these chapters. And, and it all revolves, the whole uh, setting of John 7 and 8 revolves around the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles is uh, called the Feast. Uh, the Jewish people uh, had several festivals or parties or celebration, and make no mistake, it was a party. Uh, they had several of these throughout the year, mandated by God, and, and, and yet this one was called the party. It was the big one, the most popular of all the feasts. It was, it was the one that if you were going to have to go to one of the feasts in Jerusalem, this would be the one that you'd go to. Everyone and anyone who was someone was in Jerusalem for the party. Uh, to, to use a crass example that had more significant religious roots than what we'd care to admit, uh, Mardi Gras, you know. I, I'm not comparing Feast of Tabernacles in moral tone to Mardi Gras, although I don't know. It could be. Um, but the, the nature of the festival, it was, uh, it was a celebration, and everybody came. And it was a celebration of God's provision and presence and power as, they were, as the children of Israel were going through the wilderness. You all remember how the children of Israel had to go through the wilderness first as they were making their way from Egypt to the promised land, uh, and, and as they were making their way, God parted Red Seas and, did, and, 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 and gave them battle over Pharaoh, gave them victory over Pharaoh, and, and, and then led them uh, to the edge of the promised land. And so God's presence was with them and gave them Ten Commandments and, and everything there as they were getting ready to enter into the promised land. But if you remember, the children of Israel said, we're not going to go into the promised land. We know that's what God wants us to do. We're not going to do it. And uh, Moses wept for the people and, and was mad at them and, and upset. God's uh, discipline uh, then was poured out on that generation. And they had to wonder uh, for 40 years in the wilderness till everyone in that generation that said no to entering the promised land, everyone had to die. Uh, so only a new generation could enter into the promised land. And that was the discipline. But, but still, God's presence and power and provision was with the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. And, and even though it was a mess of their own making, God still uh, took care of them. And they uh, traveled in hope. They traveled in hope that one day their children would be able to enter into the promised land. That was hope. It was a confidence that they had. They understood that was going to happen. Uh, it was hope that God was going to provide bread from heaven every day. They woke up with a certainty that uh, even though the bread was gone that night and couldn't be used the next day, they didn't have to worry because God was going to provide bread from heaven. Uh, that God, when, when they were in need, that God would literally bring water gushing out of a rock. That, that, that as they journeyed in the wilderness, that God was with them and took care of them. And they, they had that absolute certainty, as certain as when you laid your head on the pillow last night, you knew the sun was going to rise this morning. That's the kind of hope they had in God. Well, that's the kind of hope that they celebrated at the Feast of of the tabernacles that <laughs> get together and have these wonderful traditions and celebrations and songs of praise and, and uh, processions and, 
and all these things that would take place, but, but really they were celebrating how God had provided, but then it began to take on an added meaning, how God would provide. See, the children of Israel were still kind of in their own wilderness, and they, they were stuck, uh, ruled by a foreign power. Uh, they had relatives and friends that had been dispersed all over uh, Asia, uh, Asia Minor and, and Greece and, 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 and they were they were they were oppressed they, they, they felt like they were still in the wilderness and they were looking and longing and hoping looking and longing and hoping for the day when God would bring rain into their desert when God would provide rescue for them So as we pick up the story in John 7 and 8, we see that that Jesus enters the scene of the festival, especially the last couple of days of the festival, enters the scene of the festivals and declares, I am your hope. And guys, I got to tell you, today Jesus is looking at you wherever you are, whether it's a mess of your own making, whether it's a darkness that you've created for yourself, Understand that Jesus speaks to you today and he says, Look, I am your hope. Today, my prayer for you and for me is that we would allow Jesus to step into our darkness and bring the light of hope and life to us, and that we would not stay where we are any longer, that we would drink from the well of water that he provides, living water that gives life that never ends. My prayer for all of us is that Jesus would be our hope. So let's look at this passage, and and again, lots of verses, not able to cover them all, wish we could, uh, but that would be one of those marathon preaching sessions um, that uh, if if we could all agree to show up here at 8 o'clock, and stay until the last sermon is finished. The last sermon is not the 11 o'clock service, it's the 12.30 service. I finished preaching about 1.45 or 2 o'clock. Um, and so if y'all would all agree and we could all just meet together for those hours, then I could preach the way I really want to preach a passage like this. All right, so, and if y'all have ever been with me on a Wednesday night, you know that's true. All right, so uh, when we follow Jesus, Jesus gives us hope. Now, let's pick up the story, John chapter 7. Uh, in John chapter 6, verse 66, you see that, that the multitudes had left Jesus, that a whole group of people had left Jesus. After he fed the 5,000, then people came and they were begging for more bread. Jesus gave some harsh words. Simply, he said, unless you take all of me into yourself, you can have no part of me. And Jesus said, I'm not going to give myself piecemeal out. You have to take all of me into yourself or you're not going to get any of me. And, uh, and so people began to wander away. And, and uh, Jesus then, after the crowd began to walk away, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, will you leave me also? Uh, will you go away? And, and Peter responded, he said, where should we go? For, for you have the words of life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so uh, the disciples stuck, and they said, we, we're going to follow Jesus. And even if everybody else wanders away, we're going to follow Jesus because he has the words of life. 
Well, uh, after that encounter, in John chapter 7, verse 1, uh, John summarizes a distance of time. And he says, now after these things, y'all see that? John chapter 7, verse 1. Now after these things is an idiom in the Greek language that says some time has passed and it's an indefinite period of time. It's not the next day or probably not even the next week, but probably a few, uh, uh, a few weeks, maybe even a month or two months. Uh, an indefinite period of time has passed. Now, after these things, let's pick up uh, verse 1. After these things, um, Jesus walked in Galilee. Now, the phrase walked in Galilee means that he lived there. Okay, so he was making his home base in Galilee. Now, Galilee um, is to uh, Judea, or Galilee is to Israel, or Judah, um, as... um, Galilee is to Judah as I'm trying as Williamsburg is to Kentucky. I can say that because I lived in Williamsburg. Williamsburg population five thousand to the state of Kentucky. So Galilee is to Judah as Williamsburg is to Kentucky, or uh, Galilee is to Israel or Judah as Vicksburg is to the state of Mississippi, or as Mississippi is to the state of, to the United States of America. You know, it, it's, it, it was considered a backwards place. It was considered a rural area. It was not the, the centerpiece of all political action. It was not the D.C. of their day. It, it was the it, backwater town. It, it, was, it wasn't a place where you would find a person who wanted to make a difference. And so, but Jesus made his headquarters there. And, and the reason is because the Jews sought to kill him. So he didn't make his, his, uh, he didn't make his home in Judea rather than Galilee. So verse two, now the Jews feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here, go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Uh, for even his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus said to them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testify it, uh, testify of it that its works are evil. You go on up to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And when he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. So, so his brothers come and say, all right, so Jesus, you say that you're going to be the ruler, the Messiah. You're going to be the boss man, but you're stuck in Galilee. And if you really want to be the boss man, if you're really going to be the ruler, then you need to get over to the feast of tabernacles. You need to get to the party because, uh, because there is not a person that is going to be a successful politician or king or ruler that's going to be stuck in a backwater region like Galilee when the feast is happening. You're, you're, you're missing your moment is what they were saying. And, and Jesus responded and he said, I'm not missing my moment. I'm rejecting your moment and I am opting for God's moment. And Jesus was intent 
in every way not to become a popular hero or a political ruler, but Jesus was intent in every way to fulfill God's will. And so he set out not to do what his brothers suggested or what the crowds expected, but rather to do what God wanted. And as we look at this, this pursuit that, uh, that Jesus has, we see in verse 10 that he actually does go to the feast of the tabernacles, but he doesn't go as a reveler. He doesn't go as a partier. He doesn't go as a celebration person. He goes to teach in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. He goes to unpack and unveil the hope that humanity could have in him. And so as he begins to teach in Jerusalem, he, uh, he, 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 uh, he teaches uh, with absolute authority. And, and the religious leaders, they ask the question, well, why does he teach like this? He doesn't have any schooling. You know, you know that? You know what? All right. He doesn't have any education. He's not supposed to be teaching like that. And so in verse 16, Jesus responds. Verse 16, Jesus says, um, uh, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Let's stop there. Um, Here's how Jesus gives us hope. When we follow Jesus, he gives us hope because uh, he gives us a straight path to walk with a right destination. He gives us a straight path to walk with a right and beneficial and blessing kind of destination. And that's what Jesus offers us. That's what he offers all who will follow him, a straight path with the right destination. Um, But here's how he describes that. In verse 16, he says to all these people that are teaching all these different things, and if you knew anything about rabbinic teaching at this time, the rabbis teaching, you would understand that it was a lot of stuff that wasn't found in the Bible, but it was a lot of stuff that they had created on their own. Okay? So when, G- when they say that Jesus wasn't educated, he, they were saying, well, you don't understand what Rabbi so-and-so had to say. You need to listen to Rabbi so-and-so. But Jesus responded and he said, hey, listen, let me give you a clue. I don't come spouting my own opinion or sharing in my own initiative. Rather, I come teaching the teaching of God. And Jesus said, if, if I was teaching for my own glory, then, then I'd be really concerned about how you received it. But because I'm teaching what God has already said, I'm okay, whether you like it or you don't like it where you think it's good or bad. And by the way, Jesus said, every person around me who has a heartbeat to do God's will, hears what I had to say and says, that's what God wants. Now, how does that apply to us and how does that give us hope? Well, we live in a day and time where the teaching of Jesus is not very popular and becoming increasingly, I think, unpopular. 
Uh, we live in a day and time where Jesus and his teaching that's, that's uh, put together for us called the Bible. Um, Jesus has given us the teaching of God and people look at the teaching of God and they say, well, that's kind of out of, that, that, that's, that's out of date. There's an expiration on this. It, the, the, the things in there just, they don't apply anymore. Are you serious? You're actually going to take the words from a guy that lived 2,000 years ago? You're going to take counsel from a book that was written thousands of years ago? And, and you're going to say you're going to live your life by that? Are you sure? Are you, have you lost your mind? See, that's the culture in which we live. And Look, you and I, listen, I want you to listen to me. Just because you're here every week doesn't mean that you're doing what God wants. Just because you're here every week doesn't mean that you're not following some advice that's not found in God's Word. Just because you say amen when I ring your bell doesn't mean that you are allowing the words and doctrine of God given to us by Jesus to dictate your decision-making or your feeling or your acting. Some of us are driven more by the things that we have just kind of adopted over time than we are of what God has literally said in his word. Some of us are more enamored by our own voices and our own opinions than we are God's Word. Some of us are more enamored and more, more, um, uh, uh, more inclined to accept uh, the results of a Google search or something that Siri has to say than we are what God says in His Word. Some of us are more inclined to follow the advice and the counsel that we've read in the latest guru book than we are to do what Jesus says. Now, friends, here's the thing. When I go off the cliff, when I find myself weak and trembling on the trail because I don't know where I'm going and I don't know where I, uh, how I'm going to find any strength today, when, when I find myself uh, walking uh, not just off the trail, but off the cliff and in danger and crumbling emotionally and spiritually and even physically, I find myself in that situation because I decided I would take my own counsel. I find myself in that situation because I decided I would follow the advice of uh, good people, but just not God. I decided that I would follow the, the instruction manual of the latest leadership book rather than following the instruction manual of God's Word. I found that I, 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 I followed my own feelings and my emotions and even my own traditions ignoring God's Word. Listen, we in many ways here in this church are no better than the Pharisees were back in Jesus' day. We. Because we will fight and struggle and gripe and complain and get all bent out of shape because of something that has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible. And we will ignore the very will of God that we find in the Bible. And we wonder why it is that we don't feel like we're walking a straight path and we're living uncertain of where this path is going to take us. 
Jesus said, here is your hope. He said, I am your hope. If you will listen to me, if you will follow the counsel that I give, if you will listen to God's word that I'm giving you right now, then you will experience a straight path. Doesn't mean that path won't have ups and downs. It doesn't mean that path won't have storms that hit it. It just means that you have confidence in the way you're going and that's going to get you to where you need to be. It's what the psalmist was talking about in Psalm chapter 1 when he said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's a straight path with the right destination. And that's the kind of path that we have in Jesus Christ when he is our hope, when we follow him. The straight path and the right destination. The second thing we see, I know what time it is, and I've got three more points. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I've got my Fitbit on. Tells me how many calories I burned the last time I preached. I burned 1,013 calories last sermon. I'm burning more right now. I'm so excited. All right, so the second thing, Jesus gives us hope when we follow him because he gives us the presence, the power, and the provision of God. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. It was celebrating how God in days past had, had, had been with his people and had had, had demonstrated his power with his people and had provided for his people. Jesus enters the scene and he says, hey, everything you celebrated back then is realized in me right now. Now, I don't have time to trace this too much, but, but just go on down in, uh, in, in uh, John chapter 7. Uh, go on down to verse 37. He says, on the last day that great day of the feast. This was the great party of the feast where the priests, every morning the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam. They would, they would take their buckets, they'd fill them, fill them with water, and they'd go back to the altar in the temple, and they would saturate the water, uh, the altar with water. And that was a sign of God's presence. It was a sign of how God had provided water in the wilderness and water in the desert. But on the last day, the great day of the festival, they would take that and they would bump it up about 20 notches. I mean, they would have a lot of more singing and a lot of more. They would walk around the altar seven times with all these buckets of water and they'd saturate the water. So there's a lot of water going on. Now what Jesus does in verse 37, uh, he says, he says, uh, if anyone thirsts, oh, I, Jesus stood and cried out. He wanted everybody in the room, everybody in the temple, everybody in the court of women, everybody to hear what he had to say. And he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So as all this water is saturating the altar, 
As water streaming down through the temple and through the courts, Jesus steps in the middle of a puddle and he says, okay, you're living your wilderness life. Let me tell you where you can take a drink and live. It's with me. Now, John goes on in verse 39. He says, now this is in reference to the Holy Spirit who had not yet come. And John was saying, hey, listen, Jesus said that he's going to pour into you the very spirit of God. He's going to pour into you the very presence of God. He's going to pour into you the very power of God. And he is going to pour into you the promise of God's presence power that will absolutely provide and nourish you completely. Today, when we follow Jesus, the spirit of, uh, uh, of God is alive in us so that we taste the cool water of God's presence no matter how hot the, the temperature is around us. And we experience the, 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 the satisfying uh, 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 presence of God in our life. And, 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 and that presence produces a power in our life where we don't have to fear the in-between. We talked about the in-between last week. We're not where we used to be, but we're not where we need to be. We're stuck in between. And in our pilgrimage from here to heaven, we are in that ultimate in-between. But the good news is that God has given us his spirit to help us through this in-between and is brought to us by Jesus Christ his son. The spirit of God resides within us so that we can live even though the wind is blowing and even though we're filled with fear and fatigue and frustration of the in-between, we can live with absolute hope that just as certain as the sunset yesterday, the sun's going to rise tomorrow and God is going to take care of me in the in-between. And that's brought to us by the Spirit of God residing within us. The Spirit of God that has come to us because we've made a commitment to cross the line of faith and follow after Jesus. The presence and the power and the provision of God. You want your daily bread? I do too. But here's the good news. God in His great grace has given us the Spirit of God so that we will have our daily bread. Emotionally, spiritually and physically but you gotta follow jesus the son of god when we follow jesus we have hope because he gives us a straight path toward a right destination he gives us the presence and the power and the provision of god and the third one and i'll end with this one i won't do the fourth one but the third one is that jesus gives us hope because he brings light into our darkness uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the, the water ceremony was in the morning, but in the nighttime, it was the light ceremony. In the court of women, there was a lighting of four great uh, uh, big jugs, uh, uh, big, I mean, uh, big candles. No way to describe it, huge candles. And, and they, would, they would light these candles, and, and uh, it was a, a symbol of hope that even though times are dark, God gives us light in our darkness. And that, that, that's, that's the picture. It's, it's a symbol of hope that, that God's not done yet. It, it is a symbol of hope and, and hope being that, that even though the darkness has fallen and even though, though the darkness is real, God's going to help and take care of us through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus stepping into our darkness. So, so on this night in the, in the court of women, as they lit the candles and Jesus steps out of the shadows in the corner of the court of women and steps into the light and he says, I am the light of the world. 
He said, here I am. I'm the one who dispels the darkness and delivers life. I'm the one who comes and offers you hope in the midst of your darkness. Now, friends, you may have a darkness like the woman caught in adultery at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. You might have that kind of darkness, a darkness that, that, that you created for yourself, a mess of your own making, a Gordian knot that you tied for yourself and you can't get undone. Maybe it's a darkness that you created for yourself. And the good news is for you and for me, the hope for us today is that even if it's a mess of our own making, even if it's disastrous consequences of our own sinful choices. The good news, the hope we have is that God in his great grace sends Jesus into my darkness right here, right now and shines light and says, okay, you made the mess. I'll help you through it. I'll fix it. I'll untie the knot that you have, uh, that, that you have uh, tied. I'll help you. Jesus steps into the darkness of the messes that we've made for ourselves. Jesus steps into the darkness of the circumstances that swirl around us. Sometimes the darkness isn't something that we did, but it's something that's been done to us. And I've got to tell you, in the compassion and the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're living in that kind of darkness, someone has done something to you. It's that, that somebody done somebody wrong song kind of life that you're living. Some of y'all got that and some of you didn't. Uh, it's, it's that, kind of, that kind of darkness that's swirling around you. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to do it. Listen, Jesus steps into the midst of your darkness that somebody else created with his arms wide open, ready to pick you up and shine light of hope in the midst of your darkness. Listen, 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 Linda. Now's the time for you to... Ex- Some of y'all got that, so you didn't. I thought I'd just even score. Now's the time for you and for me to walk in the hope that Jesus offers. It's time for us to stop playing this silly little game like we've got it all together. Guys, I am still a hot mess, but I thank Jesus that even though I'm a hot mess, I'm not where I used to be. I'm just not where I need to be. And I have the light of Jesus Christ to give me hope, to give me from here to there. When I follow Jesus. So today, the challenge, the challenge for us is to follow Jesus. Why would you choose not to follow him? Why would you choose to to, to follow anyone else? Today's the day. Follow Jesus. I'm talking to people who are Christians right now. Let me talk to you for a second. You've been, you've been uh, showing up here and going to your life group. You're going to do big serve next week. You're going to do, you, maybe you even do outreach on Tuesday nights, come back on Wednesday nights for a good study. Uh, you, you do all these things, but the truth is you're not following Jesus. You've sat down on the side of the path and you said, I'm not going to obey him anymore. I'm just going to do the things that I've always done. I'm not going to worry about the the obedience that he's calling me to. I'm I'm just going to do all the things that I feel like doing. I'm not going to worry about obedience to Jesus right now. I'm not going to follow him. Now, you're not going to say that out loud, but that's what you're effectively doing. Friends, you need to follow Jesus. Now's the time. As a follower of Jesus Christ, don't do it by name only. Do it in word and in deed. Follow Jesus. And that should affect your emotions. That should affect your relationships. That should affect your work. That should affect your thoughts, your actions, 
everything are you going to follow jesus that's where hope is found you're living in a hopeless relationship then make sure you're following jesus you're living in a hopeless job start following jesus i'm not saying that he's going to rescue everything i'm just going to say tell you he is going to fill you up to overflowing with himself and you'll have hope in the midst of the darkness some of you are not followers of jesus hey you're not you're just not today's the day god in his great grace is drawing you to himself and he's promising you life john chapter 8 verse 51 he he who comes to me he who believes on me will never taste death he's talking about life they faced and just really faced with the dangerous common foe called death this horrific specter that confronts all of us what is your hope when you face death if it's not jesus then it's not hope would you bow your heads please in this moment i just invite you who are followers of christ to to ask yourself the hard question am i following him you say as a follower of jesus if 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 at any point you feel hopeless then the first order of business is to make sure that you're following jesus He's given you a straight path with a right destination. But you've got to follow him. He offers light in the midst of the darkness, but you've got to follow him. He promises the presence of God and the power of God and the provision of God, but you've got to follow him. Today, as a follower of Jesus, will you commit yourself again to follow him? Others of you, you're not yet followers of Christ. And my challenge for you today is to become a follower of Jesus. To cross the line of faith and give your life to him. To trust in his death on the cross as payment for your sin. His resurrection from the dead as the opportunity to have a hope-filled life. You're here today. I'm not inviting you to be a religious person. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus. Give your all to Jesus. And some of you need to do that very thing today. So, Father, in this moment, draw to yourself any and all whom you are calling. Break our hearts. Encourage our hearts. Give us hope. Show us why we don't have it. Father, just do that mighty work of grace that only you can do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Ministers are here waiting.